Well, it really is a, uh, a privilege to be here. I've been, like I said last night, really looking forward to being here with you. And uh, I, I'm just so excited about what you're doing. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of it in any way possible. And so it's, it's a real privilege for me to be here um, tonight. We're going to be looking at prayer again. Uh, we're going to be doing it in a little bit different way than we did last night. I tried to give us uh, a little bit of the basics, and we're going to look at actually examples of prayer in the Bible. That's where we're going to go. But just as a point of review, because uh, I think that's really important, uh, before we even get started, I asked three simple things. Actually, not that simple. They are, but they're not. Uh, I want to ask you to be honest with yourself about where you are and how you're doing. I want you to be honest with God. I want you to open up and let Him in those places you don't let anyone else in, including yourself sometimes. And I want you to expect God to be at work. That God loves to do amazing and unexpected things on a regular basis. So that's that's where I want to that's where I want to start. Um, I'm going to open us with prayer, and this is from a um, this is from a pastor in Nashville, someone that I, I've looked up to for many years. His name is Scotty Smith. I'm going to use a prayer that he wrote uh, to open our time in prayer and about prayer. So if you would, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the calling, privilege, and importance of worshiping together tonight. It is because it's a calling that we dare not dismiss it or take it lightly. Because it's you we get to meet with, may we come prepared, expectant, and ever more grateful. Father, may we, as your beloved children, give you, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, the, worth of, the worship of which you alone are worthy. Feed our minds with your word. Fill our hearts with your grace. Empower our worship by your Spirit. May we gather together, not as selfish, selfish consumers, looking to be pleased, but as true worshipers, longing to be consumed with your glory and grace. Father, through our corporate worship, we pray that you will be blessed, revealed, and magnified, and that we will be humbled, gladdened, and transformed. As we lift up Jesus, may we trust you to take us low and draw the nations in. So, very amen we pray in Jesus' loving and worship-worthy name. Amen. Uh, I find this. Uh, I didn't. I did not tell anybody, uh, besides the slides that you see be behind me, uh, what I was talking about when we were talking about prayer. And yesterday we sang "Good, Good Father," and we talked a lot about the relationship we have with God as our Father. And the opening song is actually uh, a song I was going to use as an illustration. Um, Ten thousand reasons, because it's actually take, taken from the a passage that we're. We're going to look at here tonight. But as you think about uh, some of the things we talked about last night, if you were able to be here, we'll do a quick review. Uh, who can ask a king for a glass of water in the middle of the night and not be thrown out of the court? Right? It can't be his subjects, certainly. It can't be those who serve the king. Not even the king's spouse can 
shake him, arouse him, and say, I, I want something to drink. You know who can walk into the bedroom chamber of one of the most powerful people and not only be welcomed but be loved is a small child making a simple request of a loving father. That is our attitude when we come in to God in prayer. And um, I want to do just a little bit of review. What prayer is? We, we, we asked three questions. What, why, and how? What prayer is? It's personal communication with God. It's an action in a direction with motivation. Uh, why we pray? Because we need God. Because the gospel is true. And we have fellowship with Him. It's a natural thing that those who love Jesus do is communicate with God. And how, and we, we talked some of the, the how of looking at the Lord's, uh, the Lord's prayer and um, seeking to acknowledge Him, to admit our sins, but also to go to Him with great expectancy, with great boldness. You know, if I was really on top of things, I would have asked for your questions. I don't know, I've done kind of a rapid fire, and I didn't do that. I'm really sorry. Um, I'll lock that away for next time if I ever do something like this again. But I was talking to some people last night, and there were two questions that came up, which were so good. Uh, we didn't have time to address at length, and I still don't have time, but if I could do it quickly, I think these questions would help clarify just a couple of things. The first question is, that I got was, does that mean, if, if, if what we said yesterday was true, if we can go and we're supposed to ask shamelessly and boldless and with great boldness, can I ask for whatever I want? That's a great question. And the answer is uh, yes, with a caveat. Because children can ask and do ask their parents for anything shamelessly. But as you grow and mature, you know the things that your parents are going to say no to. And you know what are unrealistic requests. I mean, there's something different too about going to God because... Um, going to God is, is not just about going to get things from Him. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, uh, if, you, if you've, have, I'm familiar with it, but sometimes parents get upset when their kids treat them like an ATM machine. They only hear from their kids when they want money. Uh, can you imagine if the only time God ever heard from you is when you wanted something? That's not really a relationship. That's not acknowledging Him as Lord of all creation. That's turning the Almighty One into your butler. That's very different. So, yes, you can ask for anything. Do you want to know how you can guarantee to get everything you ever ask for? It's actually in the Bible. Psalm 37, verse 4. It's the key. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I read that verse for years, and it finally clicked. It hit me like a it hit me like a truck one day. Do you know how I can have the the desires of my heart when my heart longs for God more than it longs for anything else? Because then what I'm asking for are the very things that God wants to have happen too. So I can get what I want when my heart changes and my love is Him. And so the second question I got, which is kind of related, is. Uh, Sometimes we have this thing called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. And the, the thought is, uh, God will give me more things, especially material things, the greater my faith is. And that is absolutely false. 
Uh, I can say that with great clarity. And I can give you two quick examples. One is what we just talked about is uh, the most important things you need are not material or financial. What you need most is to be saved from your sin and what you most strongly desire is a relationship with the God who created you. But the second and equally compelling point is, do you know I have the best faith of all in God? Jesus. And he didn't have a lot of things go right for him in this life. So if it didn't go well for Jesus, who had greater faith than all of us combined, that kind of disproves that. But that's a great question because it's really popular. So again, I wish I would have been more on my game to ask and been more open for questions. But if you do have a question, please come by and see me. I love to talk about it and love to have a conversation. So um, last night I tried to give us a foundation, kind of the nuts and bolts, what prayer is, why we pray, how we pray. We looked at an example of prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We looked at what Jesus says about prayer and how to pray and how to come to Him. But at some point, you have to do it yourself. I have a good friend of mine uh, that I went to high school with. He was best man at my wedding and vice versa. And he trained pilots at the University of North Dakota. North Dakota State? UND. University of North Dakota. And he would give them all the information they needed. Right? Here's the instruments. Here's the pedals. Here's how you take off. Here's how you land. You give them all this information. You give them all these textbooks. You even go on the plane. And the plane that they fly is a little small plane, but they have all the same stuff on both sides. So, you know, that he, as the uh, flight instructor, that's his official title, as a flight instructor, he could do it and then he could hand the controls off to the other person. They could do it for a while, but he was always there in case something happened, he could always take over. He, he told me the most nervous part of his job every single time, without question, was their first solo flight. So their first solo plate is when the flight instructor's on the ground and they are alone in the plane doing it. And every time they come in, he's sitting, he's sitting on the runway, he sees them take off, they do a big loop, and they come in, the hardest part is always the landing, and he's just going, please don't crash, please, please don't crash, every single time. Um, and he had some pretty close calls. So here's the thing. Great, you can know all about it. But how do you do it? You gotta practice, you gotta do it. And we're gonna look at some examples do you know <clears throat> that there's actually an entire book devoted to prayers? It's a huge book, actually. It's the Psalms. Psalms are prayers that are sung together corporately by the people of God, the Old Testament Israelites. So we're going to look at two Psalms tonight, uh, and they're going to be very different. So the Psalms are, are 150 Psalms in one book, and they span all sorts of circumstances. They, they cover every human emotion that there is. And they are well worth your time. If you don't know how to pray or if you don't know where to start to pray, I would encourage you to read the Psalms. Read one a day. Read four a day. It is, it is rich and you will be very blessed to do it. So we're going to look at some opposite ends of the Psalms because I think that's going to be what's, what's most helpful in the time we have left here tonight. So the first psalm I'm going to ask you to turn to is Psalm 103. This is one of my personal favorite psalms. This is a psalm of praise. And it's what we just what I was telling you about earlier, 10,000 reasons that hymn, that that song is based off of this very psalm. We're going to see a lot of the similar elements if you 
uh, can recall some of the lyrics that we sang. Uh, we're going to go through this together. Uh, we're going to break it down uh, section by section. So if you have your Bible, I'm gonna, we're going to refer to it often. So, um, yeah, I'm going to start with verse 1 of Psalm 103 and go through verse 5. And we're going to go through these chunks. We're going to see how David, King David of, of the Old Testament, how he praises, why he praises, what he does. And hopefully that will help us give, a, give us an idea of some of the ways we can pray to God. So first, uh, this is Psalm 103. I'm going to read starting, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Uh, of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So there's a, there's a couple big points that he's making here. The first thing he says is to bless. The definition of bless or blessing is to have favor. But there's a difference between God blessing us and us blessing God. God is blessing us with favor and giving us something we don't have for our good. We can't do that to God. Do you know how we bless God? It's what Jesus actually told us in the, in the, um, the Lord's Prayer. We give Him honor and we glorify Him. That's how we bless God. And David is doing something that's it's not only found in this psalm, but it's very rarely found in the psalms. Because most of the psalms are meant for the people of God to pray together and to sing with one another. But David does something a little bit different where he's actually, he's not talking to his neighbor. He's not talking to the, the Israelite people, the people of God together. He's actually talking to himself. Do you see that? He starts this praise of God by calling his inner life and his, his emotions, his will, his heart to come alive. And the way he does that is he reminds himself of some of the things that God has done. How is he going to, how is he going to awaken himself in order to praise God? Well, he does a couple of things. Um, the most important thing he does is he remembers the works that God has done. Yesterday I said, and I believe this to be true because I believe this is what the Bible says, every problem that you and I have in the past, current, or in the future is a result of sin. Either someone's sin against you or sin that you have committed or the result of living in a fallen and broken world where things do not operate the way they should. And David speaks that to himself. Look with me in verses uh, 3 through 5. So he's calling himself to bless the Lord. He's, he's trying to, to awaken and come alive. His heart, his mind, his soul, his will, every part of him. And then in verse 3, he's reminding himself of what the benefits of God are because the ways that God has worked in the past. Do you struggle with guilt ever? Do you see what he says? Verse 3, forgives all your iniquity. Are you sick physically or otherwise? Are you not well? You see what he says at the end of verse 3? He heals all your diseases. Do you ever feel disowned, dishonored, or forgotten? Look at verse 4. He crowns you 
with steadfast love and mercy. The idea of coronation, right? Placing upon someone steadfast love and mercy. Are you afraid of dying? He renews your life from the pit, verse 4, and He satisfies you with good. So you're restored, you're renewed. Verse 5. A guy by the name of Roy Clemens who wrote a commentary on this passage said, we need to stir our hearts to a more appropriate response to the truth about God and what we know about Him. He says this, if you find your heart cold, then do what David did and count your blessings. You are not where you are simply because you've worked hard enough or made all the great decisions that you should make. No, life is more out of control than that. And we're all aware of that. Any good thing, the Bible says, comes from God. And David is reminding himself of those very things. You're rich in love. You're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. Verses 6 through 13. It's the next section I want to look at. So if he starts off by calling himself to worship and he reminds himself of the work that God has done, the next section is he's talking to God about his character. This may seem a little odd. Again, um, I want to recognize that maybe not everyone here who's online or here in person may be a believer. Or maybe you struggle with your faith. Maybe you have deep and systemic doubts. And I want to say, I'm really, really glad you're here. I want to thank you for that. I want to recognize that that's a hard thing to do. Uh, and I'm, I'm just grateful for you being able to do that, to, to make that step to be here and to attend. So this may sound strange. Have you ever thought about praying to God about God? It's actually one of the best things you can do to remind yourself, but also to honor and glorify the one who's unique in every single way. We actually like this ourselves, right? When someone can see something in us or about us, even if we know it about ourselves, when other people see it on display and they compliment you or they, they tell you about it, you really enjoy that, right? If you're really kind and you're service-oriented, and someone says, I, I'm really appreciative of how you cared well for me. That makes that, that does something to you. Can we do that to God? And this is what he's doing in this next section. So I'm going to start in verse 6. I'm going to end in verse 13. David writes this, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made his ways known. I'm sorry. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor does He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
again, we get this idea of God as a good Father who's filled with compassion for His children. There's something that's repeated here in verses uh, 8 especially. When, when Moses says, God, I want to see Your glory. I want to see how awesome and wonderful You are. God says, you can't actually experience that because if you see me, it will kill you. He is so good. He is so mighty. He is so, um, he is so glorious that to gaze upon him fully for mere mortal people would turn us into a puddle on the ground. So what he does is he hides Moses in a rock and puts his hand over it. And Moses is able to see his back. We don't actually know all that that means. But you know the most glorious part about that is he says his name. And especially in Old Testament, a person's name is not just something you call them. It's actually things that are true about them. And in verse 8, we get this in Exodus 34. When, when Moses is having this interaction with God, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This Oh, I really wish we could take time with each word, but I want you to think about what it means that God is merciful. That mercy is not getting the thing that you do deserve. That's mercy. This idea of steadfast love is his, his eternal love. It's this idea of what we call a covenant love. It's something that if you have it, you can never lose it. It will actually outlast you in this life and will follow you into the next life. Slow to anger. Uh, it's actually a little bit of a hard phrase to translate. In the Hebrew, it means long of nose. It's one of my favorite Hebrew idioms. And it's kind of this idea of a long fuse. Like your nose kind of gets redder and redder as it gets to your face. That's the idea. God is slow to get angry. And in comparison, He's what? Abounding in steadfast love. In Exodus, it says... Those who are guilty will be punished to the third and fourth generation. Right, that's serious. But to those who love Him and keep His commandments, He shows love to the thousandth generation. So is God angry at sin? Do, he, does he, do we need to be perfect? Yes. He is angry at sin. But compared to His love, His love far outweighs His anger and His wrath. This is who God is. He will not always chide. you see that? Verse 9, He won't chide. He won't keep His anger forever. He won't deal with us simply according to our sins or our iniquities because His love for us is so great if we are in Him. You see how, you see how this prayer is this praise of God by telling God who He is? And David, by recognizing it, draws a greater love for God by recognizing these things. He knows God so well he knows what he thinks and how he acts because he knows who he is. Right? That's the deepest intimacy you can know. My wife, like, my wife and I like to joke sometimes um, about how people we know and love are going to react to certain news. And it's really fun. We do that with her parents. We do that with my parents. Um, we were in ministry both times. We found out we were expecting our children, our two kids, and we were like, oh, I wonder how they're going to react. Are they going to be surprised? Are they not going to understand what's going on? That's really fun uh, to do. But the, you know what the better predictor of that is? The more you know them. 
the more you love them. I know exactly how my wife is going to react to just about every situation. Because I lived with her for 15 years. And we dated three years before that. I know her pretty well. And that's a beautiful thing. David knows God with this kind of intimacy. And he's praising God and he's reminding himself. And the more he reminds himself of who God is, the more he loves them. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God is good and kind and merciful. He will not ever leave you. I have an aunt and uncle. They had their first kid. Uh, and they didn't know if they could have any more. They had trouble conceiving the first time. And so they adopted a son. And uh, my cousin Brad, Brad always really struggled being adopted. He didn't know why his parents gave him up, his biological parents. He always felt a little bit different from his siblings. They were actually able to have another child. I actually found out they were expecting their second child when they finished the adoption of my cousin Brad. And they treated him the same because he's one of his sons. They had three boys all together. But he just he, char- he had different characters. He looked different. And he really struggled with that. And he carried that in through high school, post-high school. <clears throat> and he started making some pretty poor decisions. And he moved out of the house and cut off ties completely with his parents, with my aunt and uncle. They knew he was living close by because they heard about some of the things that were going on. And he got into some pretty dangerous people with some, some pretty dangerous situations with dangerous people. And one day, my aunt and uncle get a phone call. First time they'd heard from Brad in months. And he said, I'm in trouble. I want to come home. And do you know what my aunt and uncle did? They dropped everything in that moment. They said, where are you? They went there. They moved everything they could grab in a short amount of time, and they moved him home. Why? Because he is their son, and they love him. That is how God treats and feels towards you if you are in him. You are a beloved child of God. Then David compares himself in this next section to God in one very specific way. God's eternal nature and humans' finiteness, our limitedness, our mortality. And this is really interesting because people in David's position don't often do this. People, it, David is probably the most powerful man in the entire known world at this time, certainly in his region. He is king. Under his rule, Israel's known its greatest success in battle, the largest submission of all its enemies, the most riches to be ever produced in the land, with great monetary gain and, and complete recognition in the known world around him at that time. And you see what David does here? Even he, even the things he's built, are going to fade. Look at me in verses 14 through 19. 14 says, He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. 
and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. David, the most powerful man at that time, who has advanced the nation of Israel to heights it has never known before or since. David's rule is called the golden age of Israel because it only goes downhill from there. It never reaches the same peak. And he says his rule, his kingdom, and even himself are going to fade. He does something that we rarely do, especially in this culture. I work with college kids at the University of Minnesota. They don't think past tomorrow most of the time. No offense, I get it. I was the same way when I was that age. But David does something he backs up and he takes a much bigger picture and he views eternity. And he realizes he's like grass in a field that's here one day and gone the next. And it doesn't devastate him. Do you know why? Because God is eternal. God's love will outlast him in this lifetime. And if God's love is that great and that powerful, he will be alive in him for eternity. That's his hope. This earth will fade, and even this life will end. But not God's love. God's love will last forever. And that's a great hope for David. Not to trust in himself, not to trust in other people, not to trust in his riches, not to trust in his power or his might or those around him. Anything but God. To trust in him and to him alone. He ends this psalm in a very similar way that he began it, by blessing the Lord. I want to read verses 20, 21, and 22. This is the end of the psalm. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obey, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts and his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He calls all the creation, everything that has been created by God, to join Him in praise. We said this yesterday, I said this yesterday, that when you truly enjoy something, you enjoy it, not infinitely more, but much to a much greater extent if you can share it with other people. Right? If there's great music, you want to share it with everyone else. Right? The Super Bowl halftime, I'm, I'm a football fan myself, the Super Bowl halftime is made for people about my age because the people who are performing were big when I was in high school and college. I'm really excited. So everybody I tell them, like, you have to listen to the halftime show because these are performers I haven't heard in years. Maybe don't listen to all the words. Plug ears on a couple things, but that kind of music is what I listen to in high school. right? If you have really good food, if you, you discover a really good restaurant, you want other people to share that with you. right? You enjoy this together. David is praising God. He's awoken his, his heart, his mind, his soul, his will, everything about him. And he's praising God. He says, this isn't enough. I want to share with other people and God deserves praise from everything and all things. But you see how he ends as well? Back to himself. It's the same words that start and end. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So this, this song is, uh, sorry, this, this, psalm, this psalm inspired another song called Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. Which is an older hymn that I actually grew up singing. 
and it recalls all the things that, that this psalm says. Let me just share with you verse 2. Praise Him for His grace and favor to His people in distress. Praise Him still the same forever. Slow to chide and quick to bless. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glorious in His faithfulness. Father-like He tends and cares us. Well our feeble frame He knows. In His hand He gently bears us. Rescues us from all our foes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Widely as His mercy flows. So this is a psalm that's fantastic. It's praise. It's glory. It's beauty. It's majesty. It's awakening and calling yourself to something deep and mysterious and wonderful and beautiful. It is engaging the creative parts of your of, of who you are. Okay, but that's one extreme. And if we're honest, we're not always there. We're going to go all the way to the other side. We're going to go to the depths. And here's why I think that's important. Because the Psalms cover the full range of our emotions and our experiences. Not just the good that happens, not just the positive, not just when we're feeling happy, but when we're in our darkest and deepest moments. If you would, turn to Psalm 88. We're going to look at this psalm. We're going to go through it a lot quicker. Um, one of the reasons is it's really hard to categorize. Uh, it's actually hard to get through. I was reading some commentaries on this, and one commentator said, it's, ha- it's hard to outline and follow his line of thought as he writes this, because when you're in this amount of grief, you're not always talking logical sense. That'll give you a clue about what we're about to enter into. And here, we're going to actually talk about why it's important that this psalm is in here. But I want you to see, um, we're going to read through this psalm together, and we're going to look at what this this um, man, the, his name is He-Men, He-Man, um, we're going to look at what he's experiencing and how he speaks to God from where he is. Uh, I don't really know of a better way to do it than to read it all the way through, and then we're just going to kind of look at a couple of verses. So if you would, follow along as I read the whole uh, psalm, Psalm 88. It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call out to you. Sorry, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness to Abaddon? 
Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close me in. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. A guy by the name of Derek Kidner, who's a fantastic commentator, he, he studies the scriptures and he goes over this. He says, There is no sadder prayer in the Psalter. I think you can see why. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. He He's in the darkest moments of his life. He can't see any light that comes in. There's a couple things we can learn from this. The first is, I want you to see how honest he is. Remember, I've, I've told you this last night and tonight. Can you be honest with yourself? Can you be honest with God? It's hard to get much more honest than He-Man and what he says here. He doesn't hold anything back. And he says some things that are pretty, if we, if we really examine them, are pretty shocking. Uh, he's open, he's vulnerable, he's despondent, and he doesn't hide any of it. You know what else he does? As he prays this prayer, he's irreverent to God. Do you see that? Look at verses 6, 7, 8. Do you see what he says time and time again? You. You have caused this. You have made this happen. If you go down, he says, Your wrath is upon me. You have, you have dealt with me this way since my youth. Not only is he irreverent, but he prays in a way that's erroneous. That's not true. He actually denies the resurrection in verse 10. He says that God's love can't continue after this life is gone in verse 11, which isn't right. The ESV, which is what I'm reading from, and the Hebrew both end with the word darkness. He says, here it's a little bit hard to understand, but the idea of, of what he says is, darkness is my only friend. And it's this idea of what he probably means is darkness or nighttime is a relief when he's not awake, when he can sleep and just not think or deal with things, that is his best companion that he knows. Okay, wow. Uh, this is a prayer? Yes, it is. Do you know why it's important that this is in here? Sometimes we need words like this to help us. And I want you to know and I want you to see this is in the Bible for a reason. God could have not made this come in. He didn't have to equip us or give us this psalm to pray or to sing or to worship, but He does because God is not afraid of your doubts. He's bigger than your fear or your disbelief or your distrust in Him. Do you see the importance of what, what He's doing as He writes this? Even when he's in his darkest, hardest moments, he's still going to God. 
He's still pursuing him. He has not cut off all ties or all relations. He is still going to the one he believes is causing all his afflictions. We actually see this in the book of Job as well. Job suffers immensely. And Job says some pretty crazy things. Job actually says at one point, he goes, I want there to be a trial. And I want to put you on the witness stand so I can question you like a lawyer. That's what he says to God. And you know how the book of Job ends? Eventually everything's restored to him. And God says, in all this, Job did not sin. Why? Because he's still going to God. There are words for your despondency, for your desperation. They're here. You can approach God this way if this is how you feel. It is here in His Word for a reason. You may be in a place now or you may need this someday. And it's here for you. Most Psalms, this is a lament Psalm, there are actually more lament Psalms than any other type of Psalm in the, in, the, in the Psalter, in the Psalms. Most of them turn right at the end. I will wait for you. I will hope in you. I trust in your goodness. This is the only one that ends on a negative note, but it's in here. This is for your use. You may not always feel this bad or this, 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 this desperate, but it's here. One commentator put it really well. Um, actually, I think I actually wrote it out too. Um, and he says this. He says, this darkness can happen to a believer. It doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who didn't, doesn't deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you've strayed. This, this darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts. Because only in the next will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why. But there are answers. There's a purpose. And eventually, you'll know it. I was doing some premarital counseling this morning with a couple. And the guy's really cheery. He's really happy. Uh, he loves to enjoy people. And he's like, every time we come here, I feel like all we talk about is the negative things. And I told him, you know, that's actually a really good point, but you don't need help in your future marriage when things are going well. When do you need help in your marriage? When life is at its worst. When it can't get any better, when you can't see out. That's, when you, that's why we're talking about these things, to prepare him and her in their marriage. Because conflict will happen in marriage as long as they actually talk to each other. Right, Two people together, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be rub. Maybe you don't need this right now, but you may. And I want you to know this is in here. I want you to know that God put this in here. And if you need it, you can use this. I don't think I can tell this story without crying, so I'm sorry. I'm an ugly crier. Um, December 2019, my wife was diagnosed with cancer complete surprise no idea routine doctor checkup saw some stuff got some more scans found out she had cancer you know what happened in march of 2020 covid hit my wife is immunocompromised from the chemotherapy that she's taking weekly 
I can't go to her visits with her anymore. We can't have friends or family help us and watch our kids uh, because we can't get her sick because we still don't know how COVID, how severe it is, what its symptoms are, how to treat it. And for someone who's going through treatment, uh, there was no way to stop it, stop her treatment. She had to keep going. She has to have surgery to move to remove it, find out that the chemo drugs didn't do quite the job that they had hoped, so she has to get radiation therapy as well. She goes through um, five days, five days a week for six weeks straight to get radiation treatment and then more chemo treatment after that. A year and a half later, she's finally done. Uh, she has her last appointment. Uh, May of, of 2021. I'm still not able to go to the doctor with her. It's been a hellacious road for me and my wife and my kids. And she calls me on the phone. It's her first doctor appointment after her last treatment. So she doesn't have to go in weekly like she was going before. She doesn't have sometimes eight doctor visits a week like she did have. She's going in once every four months. This is our first checkup. They say, everything looks good. We've done everything we can possibly do. There's no certainty that we got it all, but we are as positive as we can be that we did everything possible to treat all the cancer that's in your body. And we were just so overjoyed. And then she's on the phone because she's driving home. And she said, oh, and by the way, if the cancer does come back, it'll happen the first two and a half years after my last treatment. They don't know where it'll be. But by the time they are able to find it, it's probably stage four, and it's probably going to kill her. By the time they find it, it is terminal. And I hung up the phone, and I prayed. And I said, you, God, can't give me one moment. We want to celebrate it's been a year and a half straight of treatment without stop. Through a worldwide pandemic, our church collapsed. No one cared for us. No one reached out for us in the way that we needed. Our church family in our time of need. We had never felt that alone. And here we are at the end. We've made it. And this is the news? This is the news we get? That it might not be gone? And if it's back, it's deadly? I was so mad. I was so angry. And I don't think I've ever prayed a prayer that real in my life. And when I prayed, an old hymn came to mind. I don't think I'd heard it in 25 years. And a hymn came to mind. When we talk about God ordaining things, it means that he's in complete control. And the hymn goes like this. Whatever my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine. Yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me so that I will not fall. So to Him I leave it all. 
friends, every prayer that you pray is heard. And God wants to hear every prayer that you give to Him. But don't just seek Him for the things He can give you. Seek Him. There is no greater pursuit that you can have than to go to Him. And as His child, He will always hear you, even if He doesn't give you what you want. He will always give you exactly what His goodness will give you. Alright, so, how do we end? This is where I want to end us. Just as a couple of things. I want to remind you of a few things that I believe are vital to prayer for you and your practice. The first is prayer is necessary. Prayer is necessary. If you are a believer, it is vital to your walk to pray and to pray regularly. If you're not a believer, if you're struggling, pray. Pray. Pray to Him. Talk to God. Pursue Him. He loves to listen. Pray when you wake up before you go to sleep. Pray when you drive. Spend hours in prayer. Say one-sentence prayers. Talk to God all the time. He's always near. Pray honestly. Pray like a child speaking to a loving parent. Pray bold prayers. Pray about your weakness, your doubts, your fears, your anger, your bitterness, your joy, your confusion, your peace. He already knows. He's not surprised by any of it. Pray persistently. Ask over and over and over. Knock on that door timelessly. 1 Thessalonians 17 is a three-word sentence. Verse, pray without ceasing. Every moment's a good moment to pray. Pray earnestly with boldness. Expect God to answer. It may not be what you want or how you want it, but He is a good Father who loves to give good things to His children. Pray out of faith. Know that God hears you and He loves you because of Jesus. All the sin, all the wrongs that you've ever done, all your failings, all your shortcomings, all your mistakes, even while you're praying that prayer, have been paid by Jesus Christ. There is nothing that separates you from God any longer because Jesus has made a way. Finally, prayer changes you. It changes you. It shapes you. Listen to God speaking to you when you pray. Corey Ten Boom and her family hid uh, Jews in Holland, I believe, during uh, World War II when the Nazi regime came, took over. Uh, they were found out. They were betrayed by a friend. Uh, they were found out, and they were all sent away to concentration camps. Corey was the only member of her family to survive. This is actually taken from her book, The Hiding Place. And she would go around speaking about forgiveness after after um, the war had ended. She survived the concentration camp. She would go around telling her story. If you haven't read The Hiding Place by Corey Timboom, I highly recommend it. It is phenomenal. But at the very end, she paints this picture. So she's, she's going around talking about forgiveness and the church is emptying and she says she sees him. It's a guard at her concentration camp. 
the women had to march naked in front of him, and he jeered at them. It's the same concentration camp where her sister died. This is her recalling this instance. The, the man, the former SS officer, came up to her and said, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. To think, as you say, he has washed away my sins. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often for the need of people to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask more of him? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass, pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. A man who had mocked her, who had treated her inhuman through the power of prayer and her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and by His help, she's able to forgive one of the worst offenders she's ever known. Friends, prayer is powerful. Let's do it often. Let me end in prayer. This is a prayer from the Episcopalian Book of Common Prayer. Let's go to the Lord together. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that You have done for us. We thank You for the splendor of all creation, for its beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the, my the mystery of love. Above all, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ, for the, word of his, for the truth of His Word, for the example of His life, for His steadfast obedience, by which He overcame temptation, for His dying, through which He overcame death, and for His rising to life again, in which we are raised to the life of Your kingdom. Grant us the gift of Your Spirit, that we may know Him and make Him known, and through Him, at all times and in all places, may we give thanks to You in all things. Amen.